the worlds of fantasy. Plural, of course, worlds. Fantasy, science fiction, all of it. Uh, you know, I mean, it's all really fantasy. It all falls under that term, of course. But uh, got a little special here for you. Uh, again, another one that's just really, really bonus stuff. But I said I would do it. Um, and actually, the I did the top eight spaceships of all time uh, recently for Sovereign Top 8, top eight for on Patreon. And uh, got really nice response from it. So I assume that means you want more. And, and I, uh, I teased in it that I would do top eight starfighters and then maybe we'd get into like top eight Star Trek ships and top eight uh, Star Wars ships and all that. Star Trek and Star Wars really kind of have to be on their own um, because, I mean, th- they'll fill any list almost instantaneously. Right. Uh, so. This is starfighters that aren't in Star Wars. Not that Star Trek had a whole ton of starfighters. I mean, you had like the Romulan Scorpions. Um, you would have the ships from the PlayStation 1 game, Star Trek Invasion, which I, I love that game. And I love those ships, the Valkyries and that. Though something called Valkyrie might show up in this list here. But um, this is from disparate sources. Could be anime, animation, uh, could be... Uh, video games could be movies. Uh, there's, you know, TV shows. It can, it could even come from books, but I don't think there's any picks here that come from books. Books are kind of a harder. I talked about this during the top eight spaceships. Books are kind of a harder thing to put together because, or I mean, books are kind of harder to choose from because you, you make it up in your mind and that's fine. And there are descriptions and maybe you get to see, have an idea of what it looks like on the cover or something, but it's not something that people can really look at and it doesn't lend itself to like, Ooh, that's cool. You know, um, like I think the coolest ship that I can think of, not even just Starfighter, but we're going to get into our top eight Starfighters. The coolest ship I can think of uh, from a book is actually from a Star Trek book. But that's part of the thing is that I, I, I can kind of I mean, what makes it cool isn't exactly the ship that it is. It's more the way it's described and what it can do. So, I mean, certainly I'm sure there are starfighters and there are spaceships, you know, that easily fall into that and that could fill up a top eight list from books alone, really. Um, But like the best one I can think of, there was I think it was originally it's from William Shatner's The Return, which is the sequel to one of the if not the best selling Star Trek book of all time. That being William Shatner's as in he authored it really Judith and Garfield Reeves Stevens did. But you get my point. Um, He Ashes of Eden, which was his first book that came out that was just a smash hit. It was wild. And it, it it's an awesome book. It's totally worthy of its praise. Uh, the sequel to it is even better, in my opinion, uh, called The Return. And in that, there is a Defiant class ship called the USS Monitor that they end up renaming as the Enterprise uh, because this the return takes place directly after Star Trek Generations, so you no longer have the Enterprise D. Uh, but they end up naming the ship the Enterprise, and it's a Defiant class, you know, like the Defiant on D Space Nine. But it's really cool because, like, they describe how it has this. It doesn't have a cloaking device because the Defiant supposedly was the only Defiant class that was supposed to have a cloaking device. Um, but it has, like, this black armor on it, and it's painted black so that light doesn't, like, really show up, show off on it. And, and so, like, that's kind of its. Um, you know, light doesn't doesn't reflect so much on it. So that's sort of its cloaking device. And, and like the way it described all that is like, oh, that's really cool. But then I still had part of a mental picture of what a defiant class ship looked like. So it's kind of a cheat. Right. So it's hard to choose from books as far as these things go, uh, but certainly not hard in all other venues and or all other mediums to find eight starfighters, you know, that and again, not starships, not spaceships, but specifically starfighters, one or two or maybe three. Uh, if a Cylon Raider was on this list, which it's not, uh, you know, that that would comprise a, a starfighter. And I, I think, you know, just those little ships uh, that, you know, I, I think I think really before Star Wars, it wasn't even that much of an idea. I mean, they were out there like I think the Lensman saga, you know, E. Doc Smith's Lensman books, which are just some of the best books ever. Like those would have some starfighters in it. Um, Maybe some of Asimov's works would have like single person things. But like the concept of the starfighter in many ways really started with Star Wars, Uh, I think. You know, I know there's examples that exist before then, but that's the one that really you know, and, and it largely comes from George Lucas's brilliance in basing a lot of, you know, a lot of his visual styles on his obsession with World War Two. Um, and you know, actually, it was just recently George Lucas's birthday. It's funny how many <laughs> how many maybes, you know, as in babies born in May, uh, of which I'm one. 
uh, how cool, you know, you got like The Rock, you got George, I mean, like there, there's just, it's a crazy list, but I guess that's true for just about any month, right? Anyway, um, so yeah, this is a very, you know, this is something that comes much later on in science fiction, the idea of starfighters of this type, um, you know, where, where they have very specific purposes. I mean, you have... Yeah, you know, the more I think about it, you can think of a lot of books that were where they really did just take the idea of like a P-52 Mustang and throw it in space. That wasn't like not that George Lucas was necessarily original in that, but usually they'd have a lot more going for them than just looking like a starfighter or starfighter. George Lucas just didn't care. And that's why really Star Wars is technically more space opera slash space fantasy and not so much um, science fiction. But that doesn't mean that it's not equally important. And I, I see no problem. I've said this many times. I see no problem with calling Star Wars science fiction. Um, I know some of my old author friends would actually disagree with that wholeheartedly. They consider it to be fast food science fiction and horrible at that. Uh, but you know, or fast food space fantasy or fast food entertainment, blah, blah, blah. Um, well, anyway, the reasons why Star Wars is great are varied and numerous. So <laughs> anyway, we're not here to talk about that. We are here to talk about Starfighters, though. And so why don't we start talking about them? Um, this list is going to be there's just like the, the spaceships list. I'm going to have one cheat in this kind of a cheat. OK, uh, that that will show up like in the top eight spaceships list. The cheat I had was there was one submarine, but that's because you can't do a top eight list of submarines or at least not cool submarines anyway. So but I wanted to get the sequest in there somehow. And, you know, my cheat was is that, well, the sequest did end up going to another planet. So it's kind of an interstellar vessel of sorts. Uh, so, sure, we'll let that slide in. And this one, the one cheat I have in this will kind of fit in with that, even though I suppose I could do a list of like maybe top 80s vehicles and th that would make it. But even that you already know everything that's in it because there weren't a whole ton of different vehicles that were a part of, say, movies or TV shows um, in the 1980s. So, well, actually, you know, if you got it, see, I keep doing this. If you, if you got into like cartoons, you had mask you had I mean, there's a whole slew of ones, I guess that you could really, that could make for an interesting list, but we're not doing that right now. Um, and in May, I want to get at least this, the top eight starfighters, then the top eight, uh, star warships and top eight star, uh, star Trek ships, uh, that I want to be wrapped up in May. So, okay. The top eight starfighters, uh, let's start this list right off. And woo, we got a little bit of a doozy here. Uh, this one, <laughs> uh, this is the one that I actually teased in the uh, top eight spaceships list that I said, well, you know, if you're noticed, there aren't any ships from video games in this. I said, that'll probably change pretty hard when we get to starfighters. And one of them I said would be from wing commander four. And here we go. Uh, so let's start it off with number one. And again, these aren't in any particular actual particular order, um, though this would be pretty high at the top uh, for me. Uh, this one, along with what will probably end up being number eight, would be in my top two, top three, something like that. And then, uh, well, anyway, I'll, I'll give you my top three maybe at the end that actually means something. But otherwise, this is just a top eight and it's not a very specific ranking. So number one is from the game, uh, wing commander Four: price of freedom, uh, which is a classic nineties game. Uh, not as not necessarily as popular as wing commander three was wing commander three was a smash hit, but wing commander four, I thought was actually the better game. I love wing commander four. Uh, it's when video gaming, this was really wing commander four was the first game video game to like start getting a big budget. And part of that is because it's a very interactive game in that it's an interactive movie more so than it is even a video. I mean, it's very much a video game, but it's also an interactive movie as much as it is that uh, it doesn't fall prey to where it's just all interactive movie, which those games were popular in the 90s on PC and PlayStation. Uh, but it is, you know, it's it's definitely the best amalgamation of the bunch and probably did the best job of any of that. Um so Wing Commander 4, I'm not going to give you like the storyline behind the game or anything, but of course it starred Mark Hamill uh, in what I consider to be his best acting role ever, uh, that being as Colonel Blair, uh, the heart of the tiger. And in this game for me, this game did a lot for me. We'll put it that way. Uh, I remember seeing, and I might have been, I don't know, 15, 16, I guess maybe when, when this came out, 
Yeah, I guess 15 since it was uh, 1996 when it came out. And like, wow, this, you know, I've brought this up often. I get so many people that ask me the question, hey, Stallion, why do you wear triple black? What's with the triple black, right? You know, why are you always wearing all black and all this stuff? Well, there's the ninja slash Batman part of everything. But the first thing that I usually mention, or it depends on the crowd that I'm around, if it's people who I think could maybe get it, I'll mention this to them. The real reason for starting to wear triple black. I mean, there was a bunch of them, but but like one of the major impetuses was because I've been wearing this, you know, all black clothing since I was a teenager. Uh, The main impetus was actually Wing Commander 4, because in Wing Commander 4, there's this villainous, secretive, covert ops organization um, within the Terran Confederation called Black Lance. And these guys wear these completely black clad uniform. They're like these genetically engineered uh, soldiers and starfighter pilots under Admiral Tolan and everything played by the, uh, uh, the amazing Malcolm McDowell. Uh, And it was like, it was so cool. Like that, that concept of like the secretive organization and everything, which ends up becoming a thing for me personally, uh, throughout much of my enjoyment of entertainment, uh, you know, like getting into secret organizations. Like I loved it when Star Trek came up with section 31. In fact, (laughs) this, this weekend, um, this is, this is really cool. Little, little quick side story and then we'll get back into the ship. Um, I actually, so it was my birthday this weekend. I spent it all weekend, had a beautiful time with, uh, with Ellen and Stephanie. They were both over, um, you know, just my two favorite people in the world. And I, you know, I was like, okay, you know what? This is really cool. Cause I'm doing the star Trek forbidden frontiers. Um, you know, uh, like short stories that are in the newsletter right now. And it's going to be a full on erotic auto audio theater this summer. And I did that. Uh, and like, sure, you know, to some degree, I base my characters off of people that I know often enough. It makes nice mental shorthand, um, for me when I'm being creative and everything. And so, <laughs> So, you know, you have Lieutenant Talana and you have Commander uh, Varish Jen uh, from those stories. And so I I made I bought these boxes. OK, uh, well, first off, so QMX, who which is a company, QMX, not not QMX is and related to uh, BlackBerry, but QMX it means quantum mechanics. That's with an X at the end. That's the that's the name of the company. They make a lot of. Um, you know, various collectibles for various franchises, Star Trek, Star Wars, a whole bunch of them, even Stargate and things like that. Uh, been a fan of their work for years. And I mean, sometimes they make really high end stuff, but they've also been making a lot of the official badges and they've been making a lot of official, a lot of official products for Star Trek Discovery. And they finally released, I, I, I talked about this in previous Star Trek updates, but they finally released the black badge from Star Trek Discovery, which is the black Starfleet badge. And the theory goes is that that means section 31 that black badge especially with that deleted scene that we got recently with uh, empress Giorgio encountering that guy who's pretending to be a trill you know what i'm talking about and i i'll probably tell the story again somewhere else but anyway <laughs> uh and so when they finally released they just like a week ago fine or a couple weeks ago finally released the black badge even though they announced it at toycon and i ordered um I ordered three of them, you know, one for me, one for Stephanie, one for Ellen. And I bought like these, you know, kind of like jewelry boxes right on, on Amazon. And I made, you know, with my very primitive, uh, (laughs) Photoshopping skills, even though I didn't use Photoshop, I used GIMP. Uh, I made a, like a little thing. And I, I took a pic, there's a picture of this on my Instagram feed where I made it say, it said, welcome to section 31. And it had the section 31 logo that somebody made that was kind of based around more around like the enterprise era. And I put that on there and it said, welcome to section 31. And, and when on Saturday, you know, when we were all hanging out, I was like, Hey, you know, I got gifts for you guys. It's like, you know, but one of the best ways for me to have a birthday is to make other people smile as well. And so, you know, I gave each one of them a, a section 31 badge and they just, I mean, Stephanie thought it was awesome. Ellen just loved it. She's she's been wearing it ever since, uh, and which is really sweet. And it was, just, <laughs> I love these kind of like secret or- organization shit. And and they thought it was so cool because you know, in Forbidden Frontiers, it's a Section Thirty One team um, that that's you know kind of the main thrust of the story. Um, 
so that that was really cool, you know, <laughs> and, and and everybody got it. And it, yeah, anyway, it's a lot of fun. So, yeah, th- this idea of liking these, you know, kind of secretive organizations or, you know, maybe even slightly nefarious organizations or something. Um, I don't know. I always I, I feel a, a real affinity and appeal to, to them uh, or appeal with them for some reason, you know. I, I could think of reasons, but I, we're here to do a top eight list, not psychoanalyze me. So anyway, uh, I love like Black Lance. I remember when first, you know, playing the game and experiencing that going, oh, holy shit, this is so cool. I want to be those guys. Now, in the game, they had these secretive fighters that had like um, that had cloaking devices on them and everything. And they just looked really badass, like their wings were instead of underswept they're uh, they're kind of upswept where they're at the top of the cockpit. I mean, it, they just looked phenomenal. And then they had their flash pack devices, uh, which would, you know, incinerate, you know, capital ships uh, from the inside and just leave like this burning, hulking mess. Um, so the ships were the, the starfighters were called dragons. That was they were Black Lance dragons. And they were just wildly advanced. Eventually in the game, as Colonel Blair, you get to, uh, you know, fly a dragon. Uh, and it's like it's so cool and it's so slick compared to the other ships that you're used to flying in the Wing Commander series like Arrows and other ones. Uh, but. Yeah, those dragons. I mean, just a mean looking ship. Like pop that shit in Google Images and and you'll just go, oh, yeah, yeah, that is a badass looking starfighter. And they are. They're really, really cool. I love them. Uh, And like even the the, the character that you experience who usually flies um, the dragons, who does like all these really, you know, hot shot pilot kind of kind of maneuvers with it. Um, Seether, who is played by Robert Russler, who would end up uh, just a, a boy what a good looking guy <laughs> but he would end up uh getting a a bit part that was supposed to be i think a lot bigger but i mean because he'd get like in the credit sequences for um for season two of babylon five but he was he actually ended up being a cast member on babylon five that didn't much go anywhere i i really don't know the story behind that i got to figure that out but robert Russler was phenomenal as either in wing commander four um, and that I mean, that boy, that was cool. So, yeah, the Black Lance Dragons, those starfighters still th- this would be like I said, this would be in my top three because I still think that those those starfighters look so uniquely cool um, and the all black nature and kind of the red lighting on them and everything. I don't know. It just something really badass about it. And understand, like in 96, you know, science fiction content, visual science fiction content. I mean, there's plenty of books and comics and things like that, I guess. But well, not not even so much comics, but visual science fiction content, you know, and franchises of this type were still very rare. So, like, you know, while you could say, oh, I know a million science fiction shows that has a starfighter that looks like that. Yeah. Now, you know, but not in 1996. You didn't have that kind of shit. You know, that that was that was far out. And there's other ships from, like, the entire Wing Commander franchise that I'd happily put on, like uh, the Vampires from uh, Wing Commander Prophecy. Those were really, really cool. Um, but, yeah, I got to give it to the, the, you know, all I wanted to do. In fact, I remember when I was playing it actually on the PlayStation version specifically, um, I would I made a save file on my memory card where I could play the mission over and over again where I got to fly um, in the Black Lance Dragon. Uh, and because I just loved it so much, I just wanted to keep flying in it. That was that was really, really cool. So, all right. Well, while we're mentioning the PlayStation 1, why don't we go to our, our next uh, Starfighter on the list? And this is from, really, uh, in my opinion, and I've brought it up many times, this is a forgotten classic. Uh, it's actually a whole series. There was there were three, it was a trilogy, these games. Um, and someday I'd love for it to make a comeback, uh, but I don't know if it will. But... Uh, Anyway, the games are Colony Wars, and particularly the first Colony Wars game is the one that always sticks out in my mind. Vengeance is, in a lot of ways, a better game and longer. Uh, Red Sun, which is the third game, great. I mean, very good. Got to take advantage of a lot of polishing for the PlayStation, for the PS1, for the system itself. Uh, But, I don't know, the first one... Nothing really captured the imagination like the first Colony Wars, in my opinion. And, you know, where you're you're flying for the League of Free Worlds and everything. Of course, then in Colony Wars Vengeance, you find out the League of Free Worlds are actually the bad guys, <laughs> which I don't mind ever being the villain. I'm all about it. You know that. Uh, so anyway, in the first one, you had the S-21 Eclipse, which would be this incredibly advanced uh, ship that the League of Free Worlds would end up, uh, you know, would end up having. 
And it is a really badass looking ship. I mean, really badass looking ship. Um, it has this like spiky design. I'm trying to think of something that I could compare it to, but I, I really can't think of anything. But where it has like these three, I don't know, like like almost like claws going forward. And then it has three claws kind of going back more towards the engine segment. It almost looks like it almost looks like a TIE Defender from uh, Star Wars Rebels or more particularly Star Wars TIE Fighter, uh, the game. Uh, it kind of looks like a TIE Defender in a way, not really, but in a way where like you have, you know, kind of kind of points going backwards and points going forwards. Um, I might use an artwork of the S21 as the cover art for this episode. So if you want to see what one looks like, you can look at the cover art for this Patreon episode, this uh, Sovereign Top 8 of Starfighters. But a really cool Starfighter, and it's one of the last ones you get to use in the game, and it's just so heavily loaded. It has so many weapons. I mean, you just become a you know a one Starfighter wrecking machine very quickly uh, in the game when you break out uh, the Eclipse. And I mean, it's like really fast, stealthy. It's got all the right moves and it's such a cool looking ship. And really to play. The other thing you have to understand is that outside of like any any really almost any starfighter from like free space or something could have made it onto this list or something from like descent, like the ship from descent could have made it onto this list. Uh, You know, flight simulators in space, flight simulators in general. Even though the 90s were their were their heyday, it's not like they were flooding the market like, you know, like platformers would or even real time strategy games. There are way more real time strategy games um, than would ever, you know, that there would ever be a flight simulators because, I, you know, I think really they're very difficult games to make because they have to work in full 3D whether you have 3D graphics or not, you know, like whether you have technically, you know, polygonal 3D graphics or not, you've got to do it in 3D. They're hard games to make. And, you know, I mean, the list of games, the the few, just about any any game, you know, in that in this vein, um, you could pick a starfighter from that looks awesome because they were just doing such wild designs at the time. But my point in bringing all that up is that Colony Wars was really a rarity. You know, and especially when you got a sequel and then another sequel and it ended up being a trilogy like that's that at the time in the late 90s or early aughts that stood out like that's oh, well, shit, you know, this is this is a full franchise. This is really something. And I, I think I think it still stands out and it still stands up. I actually own all three games. I own physical copies of all three games and I'll play them on an emulator because I love them like I still love them. They're still phenomenal games to rock out. Uh so yeah, this the um, the S21 Eclipse is really the epitome of what I think of you know how much fun you could have in Colony Wars, where you're just going to town on everything and like you're not so because Colony Wars was was sort of unique in that you had to constantly hold down the thruster, you couldn't just turn on the speed. Uh, with the Eclipse, you know, you'd hit that thruster and you'd be going pretty good for a while. I mean, it, like there there was a lot of really cool advantages to it, and it it is just a cool looking ship and definitely the coolest ship that was ever out of the Colony Wars franchise. So it easily makes this list. Um, all right. I mean, there's not not a whole ton to say outside of that other than uh, it's really cool when you get it because you're used to using what you consider to be at the time inferior uh, ships, you know, within the, um, you know, within the Colony Wars universe. And you're taking on this what you think is this evil empire. Of course, you find out it's really not an evil empire. It's the good guys. <laughs> but anyway. Um, all right. So let, let's move on to another one. Uh, here's. This might shock some, um, but there's no way this wasn't going to make make the list. Uh, Star Star Fox, of course. Now, hold on, I'm not going to pick the R wing. <laughs> as cool as the R wing is, and it is one of the coolest ships ever, even for such a simple design, even within in game. Of course, when we get into later games, then it you know really starts looking really cool. And I mean, in many ways, it looks like an X-wing without the X, right? You know, so I, I guess more like a, a Z-95 Headhunter or something, right, from Star Wars. Um, but I'm going to give it to one that actually does look like an X-wing. That being uh, the Wolfen class, which is used by um, by Star Wolf, that was manufactured by Andros, the bad guys. Okay, and 
the wolf in class, when that ends up like when you finally see that, when you actually see a competitor, okay, because originally the team of Star Wolf, which is like the villainous team, you know, the antithesis to, to the Star Fox team, uh, you know, like during the Lilat Wars, originally you have the Star Wolf, their fighters are inferior to, to the R-Wings, uh, you know, by leaps and bounds, which is why you can beat them, even though, you know, one could argue that maybe they were, hmm, you know, like Wolf O'Donnell, uh, was a better pilot perhaps than Star Fox. Ooh, how about that? Uh, Wolf, Wolf O'Donnell being that, you know, the head of Star Wolf. So, but when the, you finally see that they get the wolf in class, you're just like, Oh shit. <laughs> I mean, cause those things move and they look awesome. Like they're, you know, they're kind of black and gray and they have that X wing look to them. Um, and like the kind of the, the, it's not a double cockpit, but the sort of a double fuselage to it. Uh, I, I mean, they are just slick looking ships with, within the star Fox universe. Um, I really, really, really like those, uh, very maneuverable too. I mean, I guess maybe the one thing, if I remember right within the games is that they would have weaker shields but other than that they look superior and move superior to you know anything any of the r wings i mean they're they're just they're awesome uh what what a fun little ship uh to see and in fact i think there's a point in was it super smash brothers melee where you're, you're on the corneria right you're you know you're you're fighting on on the star fox command ship and i think there's a point where the where the wolfen you know, wolf in class fighter actually comes zooming by. And I remember when I saw that, I was like, Oh shit. <laughs> because that was so badass back when that was a new thing on GameCube. Uh, I thought that was really cool. So really, really love, you know, star Fox is easily, like I said, you know, a lot of these space simulator or, or you know, um, flight space flight simulator games, it was kind of a rarity. Uh, but star Fox really, you know, even, even though it's a console game and definitely the graphics don't hold up as well as say your wing commanders or your star Wars tie fighters, you know, and games like that, uh, it's still, it's charming and you recognize how important it was at the time. Um, and what a joy to be able to play star Fox too, by the way, I mean, shit, you know, with the SNES classic, really exciting. So um, yeah, the Wolf in class fighter, love it. And I love Star Wolf. I think that's such a cool, I wish I could get like a Star Wolf shirt. I, I, I think that that's, uh, that's badass. So, all right, let's go on to our next ship on the list. And actually, speaking of Wolf, here comes my cheat. <laughs> here comes my little cheat for this list. So this is another case where, okay, like, all right, it's a helicopter. And you know, when I mentioned Wolf, I'm sure everybody that knows me or has listened to Sovereign Tech for years or whatever, knows exactly what I'm thinking of. Um, you know, you, you really couldn't do like a list of greatest helicopters like in fiction. Not really. OK, you know, what, what do you have? Like you could mention Blue Thunder, right, with Roy Scheider. And that ended up being a TV show and everything. I mean, maybe you could bring that up. Um, but otherwise, you don't have a whole, I don't know, like, yeah, there's the PlayStation game, G-Police. Uh, maybe you could bring up, like, Tiger Heli or something from NES. <laughs> like, But you'd really be stretching, and there's no reason to claim that those helicopters are in any way cool, you know, or, or you know, kind of science fiction-y maybe, or advanced, whatever. So, Airwolf, which is my pick here. Actually, I'm going to kind of half, there's kind of another part to this. Um Airwolf is just one of the, and I've talked about Airwolf so many times, I mean, maybe you'll find this boring, but I, I think this is just one of the most brilliant pieces of, and, and it really, I think it is science fiction. I know they treat it as an action show, but Airwolf was so much more, at least in the first season, it was so much for. And then when you get to season four, the damn thing has lasers. And of course, well, there's also Airwolf 2, which was uh, earlier on in earlier seasons that also had lasers. But Airwolf itself would eventually get its own. And that wouldn't be till like season four. But Airwolf, the helicopter, you know, and the show with the same name, obviously, that, uh, you know, start Jan Michael Vincent, Ernest Bornine and all that. I mean, just, you know, Stringfellow Hawk and Dom. I mean, it was just, man, I love that show. The first season of that show, just like with, it's funny, just like with my other cheat. <laughs> okay. From the previous, from the top eight spaceships of all time list. Uh, season one of Sequest is phenomenal and it's high science fiction. Like it's hard science fiction. It's serious as a heart attack and it's really well done. Um, 
same thing with Airwolf season one, where in season one of Airwolf, it's, you know, very serious. Uh, I mean, and very well done, you know, high drama, really well, really put, uh, put together very well. Um, ironic that they both kind of worked out that way, but I guess it just didn't go over with audiences. So they went with the more fantastical and little lighter, you know, in later seasons to kind of do that. But in season one of Airwolf, in fact, there's a particular episode where suddenly you realize that Airwolf's creator, a guy named Dr. Moffat, who is not a good guy. (laughs) He's the villain of the first episode. Um, The creator of Airwolf, he, uh, he ends up, you know, there's a point where it seems that like maybe his mind is actually in the computer banks of or the data banks of Airwolf itself. Like there's a point where it seems like Airwolf almost has AI, has like artificial intelligence. So, like I said, Airwolf is very much science fiction, really. Uh, you know, when when you actually know the episodes more so than, you know, you just think about, oh, it's cheesy Airwolf or something. No, it's really science fiction in a, in, a, in many, many ways. Um, and I think it deserves to be on this list. I mean, it's outlandish in the idea that you could have a helicopter that could go at mock speeds, you know, that has, uh, you know, turbojets and all that. Uh, but that was such a cool effect. And like the airwolf roar, you know, I mean, I, I love that. I well, I use it in my own work, um, man. And, you know, I mean, the whole thing, the stealth mode with the, uh, you know, with with the uh, with the helicopter blades and everything. I mean, just, just fantastic. Uh, Airwolf is so, so cool. Uh, and there have been attempts to kind of like modernize Airwolf at certain points. Um, in fact, I remember like in the nineties, even there were people who made more like very, or they made very futuristic, almost like alien versions of air of Airwolf that look really cool. Uh, I think it was lion forge comics. I think not Antarctic press, but I think it was lion forge comics they did a new Airwolf series where they really modernized Airwolf a lot. And that's very much science fiction. Uh, but yeah, just a really cool, you know, such a badass helicopter, even more badass than anything GI Joe would think up. Uh, and GI Joe would think up some pretty cool helicopters and very science fictiony lasers everywhere, you know, kind of, uh, uh, helicopters, but Airwolf, still just takes the cake, you know, with everything, with the sunbursts where it could deflect, uh, you know, heat-seeking missiles. Uh, I mean, all the different abilities that it had. I I still think, you know, this is this is a question that I think a lot of people ask. Like, you know, a lot of people wonder, okay, well, what, what was like the best 80s action show? You know, was it MacGyver? Was it A-Team? Was it Knight Rider? You know, or, or was it Airwolf, right? Because those are the kind of the, the big four running, and all four of them are so great, are so cool. Of course, A-Team's a little less serious. Um, I've got to hand it to Airwolf out of that list. And I know there's other shows that could kind of make that list. Um, I, I still think Airwolf tops them all. Uh, at least season one of Airwolf does. Uh, as to where Knight Rider would actually get better over time. Like Knight Rider was a show, was a, was a show that went kind of opposite, where it, it consistently got better. Uh, most of them did. But Airwolf was one where it was the best at the beginning, and then it kind of got worse, you know, as, as time went on. Um, but that first season tops anything that Knight Rider did, tops anything that MacGyver did or the A-Team. And I love all of those shows, uh, you know, and I don't think you want to count Miami Vice, but whatever. So, um, yeah, Airwolf definitely makes this list as like just this really, you know, it was this advanced. I mean, and, and you know, a helicopter is the helicopter version of a starfighter, right? Pretty much. <laughs> but, uh, but it stole the show, you know, and I think that that's something is that like what what's indelible in your mind when you think of that uh, of the franchise or something, you know, does what stands out for you? Like what starfighter or something maybe stands out for you. And in this case with the helicopter, I mean, Airwolf totally stands out, you know, and most people don't even remember Jan Michael Vincent, but you know, they remember Airwolf and they sure as fuck remember the theme song too. <laughs> Cause that's badass. Uh, so yeah, I got to give it to Airwolf. And then, you know, as a side note, I got to hand it over to my own little creation, kind of like I did last time. This isn't going to make it into the top eight because they're kind of the same thing. Um, but in the sovereign universe, okay. Like in the top eight spaceships I did, I mentioned Hypercronius. in the sovereign universe, you have red wolf, which is my own, Little Airwolf, because damn it, in case you hadn't gleaned at how much I love Airwolf, I wanted my own. <laughs> and, and amazingly, it worked really. Red Wolf, the concept of Red Wolf, which it's pretty much so in air in the show Airwolf, you end up there's a point where there's an Airwolf two, where there's a second Airwolf that get, gets made that uses lasers and everything. 
Um, it actually has like a red underbelly instead of the white underbelly that the uh, that the first airwolf has. Um, and that that was my inspiration for Red Wolf. There's other reasons reasons I went with the color red, but that was my inspiration for it. That's where Red Wolf comes from. Um, and you know, having it be this thing created by Dr. Goldblossom and everything, you know, I mean that, that all makes it really cool. Uh, and, and a lot of the technologies that I got to bake into it and everything and really made it my own. I mean, even like if, when you listen to Soviet tech two, um, the, the sovereign tech episode, Soviet tech two, you hear, you know, like, like I talk about the wolf slayer and everything, all that stuff are, you know, it's all concepts from airwolf. And, you know, I just implemented it with my own little thing called red wolf. Uh, which Red Wolf would actually be more of a, a starfighter than Airwolf ever would be, because, of course, when you listen to Soviet Tech 2, you find out Red Wolf gets used on Mars, right? They just add, um, you know, they just add some blades to it and everything, and, and it can actually handle, you know, flying in the Martian atmosphere, which is actually real science behind that. Um, you know, the rotors and everything. So, yeah, Red Wolf is just so much fun. And, of course, now there's a Red Wolf 2, right? Because in Soviet Tech 2, Red Wolf gets destroyed. Now there's a Red Wolf 2. And, uh, and you know, it's just, I, I love it. I <laughs> and I really, you know, when I, when I did that, when I introduced Red Wolf and I had the points where, you know, I have the characters it, just in audio, in audio theater flying around in it. I mean, I was just making my dreams come true, you know? That, that's what that was all about. Of course, that's that's what so much of my fiction and work, uh, especially my fictional work, is all about. It's just making my dreams come true, you know, that I've always, that I've had since I was a little guy, a lot of it, and then the ones I had when I grew up a bit. And <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, yeah, Red Wolf, you know, it gets mentioned in the same breath with Airwolf here. Uh, and that, of course, that that's a lot more fun, you know, like I say, with Red Wolf, because there's a lot more technologies described and uh, it's a little more a little more cohesive and, and, and has a, you know, a set amount of things within the um, within my little sovereign universe franchise uh, that that it does as to where Airwolf, you know, they'd come up with like a technology of the week sometimes, which is similar to what Knight Rider would do. Uh, and and it didn't really have like a like an internal canonicity going for it. So it's where Red Wolf doesn't fall prey to that. But yeah, Airwolf and Red Wolf got to put them in here as, you know, just they're not technically starfighters, but they're so fucking cool. You know, <laughs> Airwolf is so cool. Uh, there's it's got to make some kind of list somehow. So there's my one cheat uh, for this. In fact, I notice I do this a lot. I'll always have like the one cheat, the one caveat that kind of throws the curveball, right? Like when I did my ranking on Patreon and you can find this when I did the ranking of uh I ranked all of the Star Trek movies, every single one of them. And that I did were like, okay, what's the best? What's not? Um, I included in that Galaxy Quest, right? Now, Galaxy Quest technically isn't a Star Trek movie, but in spirit, oh, fuck yes, it, that's a Star Trek movie. It's one of the best Star Trek movies ever made, right? So I like to throw in these little cheats. It works for me. So anyway, there we go. We got, we got Airwolf. We're four down. We're four deep right now. So we got Airwolf, Airwolf and slash Red Wolf, my baby. Uh, <laughs> let's go to number five. Uh, number five is, oh, man, um, this... This is something special. I think this is one that a million kids had the toy for, and but they had no idea what the hell they were watching. If they even saw the cartoon, they just thought it looked badass because, damn it, it does. Uh, and we are talking about nothing less than the VF-1 Valkyrie Veritech fighter. Mouthful, but th th what it's from is not. That being Robotech. Oh, yeah, Roy Fokker's classic fighter uh start and this is a full on it really is a starfighter i mean they call it veritech because it has like three different modes right you have the you know you have the the, the basic um fighter mode which more or less looks like an f-14 tomcat uh with maybe you know some little modifications on on the top uh but then you had the uh the Gearwalk, okay or what they call the guardian in robotech uh the you have the guardian mode which is where the legs of it come down because this can turn into a, actually a full-on, you know, bipedal, uh, you know, humanoid like mech. Uh, the legs of it come down, but the fighter shape of it, again, that looks like an F-14, is still in place. Okay, so that's the guardian mode. But then you can go into the full-on, or what they, they'd end up calling like the chicken walker. Uh, but then you could go on to full-on uh, uh, battleoid mode. 
or Batroid mode, depending upon which show you're watching, because Robotech was based off of the uh, based off of Macross Saga and a bunch of other stuff. And it's like this American amalgamation that ended up being really great. Like Robotech is you can watch both of them and enjoy both of them, you know, equally, uh, in my opinion. Um, I really have a, a deep passion for Robotech myself. Uh, and man, when <laughs> you know, so it's cool that that this ship can turn into, you know, it has like these multiple modes. It's kind of a transformer, uh, but it's really badass. And you still have, you know, the humans are always in control of it. Hunter, whoever. Um, man, I mean, and the, the toys were so awesome. Like I just, I remember playing with that or you'd have one of like the Zentradi, uh, walkers or something and, you know, going to town against each other. Like I just had so much, so much fun playing with these. Um, I really, really, really love, uh, the, the, the VF1 Valkyrie. I mean, and it's one of those things I, I say this about a lot of ships, but I really mean it. It's a ship of dreams where like I have, you know, fantasized in my mind and daydreamed in my mind so many times hopping into a VF one and just going forever, you know, just heading into deep space and just not stopping, you know? And like, like, I mean, I really, like I've really romanticized. I mean, Robotech is a romantic show, whether people realize it or not, like it's a very romantic show. Uh, but I've romanticized the Valkyries alone, you know, the VF ones alone. And there's never really been like a proper video game, in my opinion, that really delivers on just how cool the Valkyrie is. Like they've kind of tried like there's the Robotech game for uh, for GameCube that was close. Um, There was actually there was a classic Macross game for NES where it could transform and everything. But it was super basic, pretty much played like a platform. But it was very, very basic. But that was kind of cool. I remember playing that back in the late 90s because it was originally only Japanese. Okay. But then, you know, even though, but because of uh, being able to play on emulators, you know, I could get the Japanese ROM and you could more or less understand how to play the game. And it was really cool. Uh, But I, I mean, all the different weapon systems that you toss on, I mean, you just keep throwing things onto Valkyries, right? (laughs) And they never even, you know, through all the decades that the Robotech series covers, I mean, they make little advancements here and there, but like they always keep that same sort of core Valkyrie shape and it's, it's perfect. And, and it was cool too, because like, I remember, you know, I would go to, you know, growing up, there were air forces and look, there's nothing cool about an air force base in reality. I understand that. All right. But when I would go to Griffiths air force base and I would see like the F 14s and everything, it looked like a real fucking VF one. And so I'm like, you know, that that's, that's something that I think stuck with kids in the eighties when watching Robotech was that a lot of the stuff was kind of close to what you could really see in real life. And so you associated it and it made everything feel a lot more real and a lot more serious. And so if I'd see an F 14, I'd be like, you know, Oh shit. Like that's, that's awesome. You know, that's a Veritech like, wow. Okay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> So, so it really sticks out and I think it felt more real and that's why I've always, you know, like had a lot of, a lot of passion for being able to, like, it, it always feels so visceral that, you know, to just daydream and think about hopping into a VF1 and, you know, away you go. And maybe if I could fit, you know, two people in the back of it, in the cockpit, then awesome. And then I really wouldn't need anything else. But anyway, <laughs> that's, yeah. So the, uh, the VF1 Valkyrie Veritech fighter fully worthy of being on this list uh, and would also be like the wing, like the dragon, the black Lance dragon from wing commander four would easily be in the top three on this list. Um, but let's go on to another, we got three more to go. We got six, seven and eight. Let's do that. Uh, number six is from one of my favorite shows of all time, uh, Buck Rogers. And it's uh, the Earth Defense Directorate's Thunderfighter. <laughs> I love that name, Thunderfighter. That's so cool. Uh, the Thunderfighter, not not necessarily the most original looking ship at all. What I do like about the Thunderfighter, because it's like it's very like planar. It's very um, flat. Right. And then it has like, you know, the little wings coming down at the end and it has the the main guns pointing forward and all that. Uh, The nice thing about the Thunderfighter is there'd be a bunch of different versions, some of which could fit like four people in it. Like, I mean, you could really, you know, the the cockpits would get bigger and everything, uh, which was kind of cool, you know, whenever they needed it to do that. Um, But the Thunderfighter just it looks slick when it was like doing a a barrel roll or if it was doing um, 
you know, we're, uh, what, what would you call that? We're doing like a full circle where it would like end up flying upward and then going around and ending up behind like, a, you know, a draconian fighter. Uh, that that was I mean, it just looked awesome when it would do that. And the, the laser systems on it, everything, you know, all of it was just really, really cool, even though it looked a lot like the 78 Battlestar Galactica. And of course, Buck Rogers in the 25th century would come out, in, you know, just a couple of years later. Um, yeah, it, it it felt right. And it, and it looked so good. And the way that they talked about even more so than than Star Wars would. The starfighter battles in Buck Rogers would really feel like and would be talked about because Buck Rogers was a guy from the tw- from 20th century Earth. He would talk about it and like narrate the battle, you know, using terms that we would understand and in such a way that made it kind of exciting, you know, and then you had, of course, it was also awesome to have Colonel Wilma Deering, you know, to have Aaron Gray you know, a woman just like kicking ass in one of these things. You know, we never really got to see Leia do that in the Star Wars movies. Um, that was cool. I mean, granted, Battlestar Galactica previous would have Sheba, you know, in a Colonial Viper, um, which that was great, too. In fact, she was a captain of the squadron, for fuck's sake. Uh, or she would become captain of the squadron because Boje was originally a captain, right? Anyway, all right, we're, we're not talking about Battlestar Galactica right now. Um but that was really cool. But the way that like the, the, the dog fights would happen in space with the Thunder Fighters and everything, it it looked really legit and and it looked really cool. And the ships just like the design of them was so well thought out that you're like, yeah, that's how that business would go. That that's how that would work. And I still think the Thunder Fighter is. As far as cool factor, not as far as technology so much, but cool factor it could rank pretty highly, even in like a Star Wars list. I think a Thunderfighter would stand up pretty quick. Uh, and I, I don't know. It's like it, it might be the coolest looking fighter ever. You know, it just it's got this really unique look that nothing else has really tried to mimic. Interestingly enough, uh, maybe because it's so identifiable, so quickly identifiable, like you you know, I don't know if it'd be IP problems or whatever, but you just wouldn't be able to, to really mimic it without it really looking like, a, you know, something from Buck Rogers. Uh, so, yeah, I love the Thunderfighter. And, you know, again, just the way that really the Starfighter battles would work in Buck Rogers as long as it had a budget, uh, you know, just were some of the best Starfighter battles of the day, even better than shit you'd see in Star Wars until you get to like Return of the Jedi. Uh, I mean, just. Yeah, really slick. Of course, John Dykstra would end up doing a lot of work for that and everything, so it made sense because he also did a lot of the work for Star Wars. Um, okay, let's go on to number seven. Um, number seven on this list, not a surprise at all. I just mentioned it, actually. Uh, Battlestar Galactica, the original Battlestar Galactica, not the new shit, even though the new Battlestar Galactica really just very much copied the design from the 78 uh, show. The Colonial Viper, uh, I mean, they looked, the ones in 2005 looked almost exactly like the ones from 1978 i mean very very close other than within the cockpit um you know which not a bad idea because it's an awesome looking design you have the uh like the triangle you know you have the the triple engine set up where one of the engines is on top like a pyramid and you have you know the three wings coming down or you know one going up two going down and you have that main front fuselage uh i mean it's it's a classic design and it looks so cool uh I mean, not as cool as the Thunderfighter, but it's pretty fucking cool. And talk about something that that you enjoyed seeing like whiz by. I mean, it just looked fast. You know, when you see a Viper, it looks really aerodynamic. It's like taking, you know, like a Mustang Cobra and tossing it into space. I mean, that's what it looked like, you know, and even like the paint jobs on it and everything. Everything looked kind of hot rotted about it. Uh, and when they would, you know, do their trick where, you know, they'd hit the turbos and everything that looked cool when they do a reverse move where they'd end up behind a bunch of Cylon Raiders, which the Cylon Raiders could have made this list, too. Um, it all, it, you know, again, it looked very believable, like a lot of thought seemed to be put into these things to where they looked like they could do everything that you were talking about. Um, and, you know, when they take off from the ground and all that, I mean, like it, it, it was totally legit, you know, as to where. With an X-Wing, you had to do certain things to make it look like, okay, how does this exactly, you know, fly in an atmosphere? With a Colonial Viper, you had no questions whether or not that would fly in an atmosphere. Of course, it looks like it flies in an atmosphere. It looks like it could fly anywhere and fly anything. I mean, it's just, oh, man, badass ship. Um, and they've never, in all the different incarnations, because, you know, there's been comic books, video games and stuff for Battlestar Galactica where they've, you know, maybe tried to re- reimagine 
Battlestar Galactica, the one thing that stays really core to shape is is the Colonial Viper because it is just that believable looking. And it is just that, you know, it's it's that cool and it, it's that slick. Again, not as much as the Thunderfighter where it didn't look as pretty in a, in a space battle, but it looked really believable in what it was doing, you know. Uh, and I, I love that ship. Uh, same with even when there was the Korra model that had the AI and didn't have any weapons but could be moved like really fast and all that. That was cool. I did like when they made the stealth Viper in uh, the new Battlestar Galactica. I'll give it that one ounce of credit because uh, otherwise it's a shit show. But that was really cool. You know, I would love to see that kind of design had been done in the original Battlestar Galactica, even though with Korra it kind of was. Um, yeah, awesome little ship. You know, like like just fun to watch, you know, do its thing. So anyway, all right, that that's that's the Colonial Viper. Uh, you know, I mean, you recognize it. That, that's that's reason enough for it to be on the list because whenever anybody sees a Colonial Viper, even before the new BSG came out, you knew exactly what that was. It's like, oh, that's from Battlestar Galactica. I mean, everybody would know. Just like the Galactica is so easily recognizable. It was such a great show, such a well thought out show, and and just really really brilliant. So anyway, okay, let's get on to, and this next one, uh, yeah, I, I, I think I would end up giving this, I would end up giving this the number one, um, because, well, boy, I don't know, <laughs> maybe I gave you like my top four, but this, this ranks really high and this one is coming and you probably expected it. What did you think there wouldn't be a ship from Babylon five in any of my top eight lists? Come on. <laughs> Uh, this is definitely my favorite. I mean, not the most powerful. There's plenty of other. There's actually Babylon 5, as far as starfighters go, had tons of really cool ones. And I mean really cool ones, like the Narn starfighters, the Centauri starfighters, the Mimbari starfighters. I mean, or the Mimbari flyers, they called them. And they, they had fighters, too. They had, like, this tri-wing design, uh, just like kind of like the Colonial Vipers, but in reverse um, with the tri-wing. But, oh, man, nothing beats the first time that you see a Black Omega Star Fury. Now, what am I talking about? So the Black Omega, or the Star Furies, are, these are kind of the main, the backbone starfighter of the, you know, of the Earth Alliance, okay? There's other models that the Earth Alliance has. Um, they have the the Thunderbolt uh, uh, fighter, not Thunderfighter, but Thunderbolt, which is pretty cool, where it's more, it's a two-seater, and it has, like, better atmospheric abilities and everything. But, Particularly in the the entire name, the SA-23E Mitchell Hyundine Star Fury uh, is really the backbone. And the Psycor from Babylon 5, which if you remember the Psycor, that's where all the telepaths, uh, you know, the, the group of that all telepaths legally have to be a part of with Earth Alliance unless they take drugs that get rid of their telepathic abilities and everything. Um, and, of course, the Psycor is seen as a villain throughout um, of course, if you read the books about the, there's the Psycor trilogy, which those books are canon. Um, you find out that Psycor is kind of different in, in how all that, well, sort of in what started it. But anyway, the history of Alfred of, of Bester, who is the, the most famous Psycor member in Babylon 5, you know, you find out a lot about him. Uh, but anyway, so the Psycor is seen as another one of these, everybody's wearing all black, kind of sounds like Black Lance, right? And it's this, you know, it's not a secret organization, but it's an organization that is doing very secretive and shadowy things, you find out throughout the, uh, you know, throughout the, the run of the show. Um, and they have, uh, they have their own Star Fury squadron called Black Omega, which uses what are called technically stealth Star Furies, okay, where they have a lot of different stealth technologies and other things. They're really, really expensive to make, so they don't have a whole ton of them. Of course, what you find out later on in like, was it in like season five of Babylon 5, where you find out that Psychor actually has an entire fleet of ships that's like constantly hiding in hyperspace, uh, including a lot of stealth star furies, uh, but they look awesome. They have, uh, you know, they're all black. The, the, the star furies are completely black. And then all they do is on the top, they have a white, um, a white Omega symbol. Okay. Like the horseshoe, which I'm not sure where else I've seen that sort of thing. I'm trying to think what other, is there like a show or like a pot? Like, is there like a tech podcast that uses the Omega symbol for its, Huh. Well, anyway, <laughs> I can't think of it. I feel like there's there is one, though. Ah, well, maybe I'll think of it later. Anyway. <laughs> uh, so anyway, the the stealth star fury. 
for the Psycorps. I mean, just really cool. And I, I love any time like that any science fiction show designs stealth ships effectively uh, or, you know, any franchise, any any, you know, anything like that, that that has like the stealthy stuff. I, I always I'm really attracted to that. I like that. You know, uh, I mean, there's a couple different mentalities very much in in how you can design things, you know, you can make things really strong, powerful, and, uh, you know, break through the walls and all that, or you could have something that's a little more stealthy. I always find myself being very much attracted to the more stealthy side. Uh, but anyway, yeah, that totally makes up, you know, what the, the star fury, the stealth star fury is. And I mean, the cool thing about star furies in general, not just the black Omega star furies, but the star furies in general is that like, they're really scientifically accurate. Like, you know, you want to talk about, um, you want to talk about hardcore, you know, hard science fiction. Uh, these have like thrusters all over the place on each of their four wings. And those thrusters, you know, help turn the ship and everything, because really like when you think about it in the next wing, if its engines are just facing backwards, what what possible reason is there that it it should be able to do flips and turn around and do all this other wacky shit, right? Like, that doesn't make any sense. As to where with the Star Fury, uh, it makes a ton of sense that it can do all of that because you see the physical, you know, you have the actual uh, thrusters and apparatus that allows it to do so, uh, which is really cool. And one of the things that always put Babylon 5 kind of over the top uh, for me is that everything was, at the very least, attempted to be you know, to, to be scientifically accurate or at least very plausible, even when they would bring in things like, you know, organic technology with the white star fleet or with the Vorlon ships or the shadows and stuff like that, there was still like a real attempt at making it. Okay. How is this believable, et cetera, et cetera. And, and it works, you know, it really worked. Um, but yeah, the star furies, I mean, you get so used to seeing them fly around and the way that they have, you know, the way they eject like their center pod when a star fury is about to be blown up. Um, and the way that it handles like so many alien ships that seem to be far more advanced. I mean, it's just, it's, it's an impressive little fighter, uh, you know, and it does have the actual X wing design, even though it doesn't have like the longer, uh, the long nose, like in, like an X wing from star Wars would, but it does have that X wing design, which, well, I guess that speaks highly of what Luke George Lucas was doing. Maybe, you know, not, not so much space opera, even though we talked about the engine issue there, but regardless, um, yeah, Star Furies are probably the best designed hard science fiction starfighters out there. Like they there's there's just so much thought put into them. Um you're standing when you fly them and that's because within the cockpit there's it's zero G, you know, there's no uh, gravity well of any kind, uh, which, you know, Babylon five would do well with the Earth Force or with Earth Alliance to uh you know, to show what that would end up looking like where you have actually like spinning parts of the giant capital ships that allow for the ship to have, you know, gravity within it um, as to where, say, like the Mimbari have an artificial gravity generator. But, you know, you know, Earth Alliance is not as technologically advanced as a lot of the other races, uh, which that's pretty cool, too, because, you know, in a lot of science fiction you get where, you know, Earth or humans are like at the top of the heap. You know, as to where with Babylon 5, it was one of the first shows, one of the first science fiction uh, franchises that actually really put humans at the bottom. You know, they weren't the top of the heap. They're they very much at the bottom. And I think that that's a clever thing to do. Uh, and the Star Fury kind of shows that off, but then also shows like its adaptability. And if you got the right pilot, well, you can still get the business done. Uh, and the whole Psycor thing, I mean, I just I think that that's really cool. And I, you know, I love the look of the Black Omegas and, you know, having a bunch of stealth technologies and other shit on it. I mean, that just that's icing on the cake. So anyway, OK, that's enough for the so that's your sovereign top eight starfighters. Uh, of all time and like i said we will be doing a uh, star trek a top eight star trek ships and a top eight uh, star wars ships uh, uh specials patreon specials as well uh to get into those but this is again it's total bonus stuff it's just for fun uh but it got to explore the nice thing is when you get into starfighters i mean there's so many really cool franchises that have come and gone be it video games or otherwise uh, that you get to explore when you start learning about all, you know, all the different starfighter designs that have been throughout science fiction history. Um, I'm not going to give you, I was just thinking, I was like, mate, should I give a preview of like the star Wars 
uh, a ship's list because I already I know what number one is, and anybody that knows me will know what number one is. But no, nah, I'll save it. We'll, we'll there's the tease is that maybe I'll make that the next one, and then the Star Trek one will be the will be the last of the bunch, uh, or maybe I'll do the start. Well, we'll see what happens. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed this. Just again, really just bonus content um, for you to take in, and you know maybe you didn't explore some of these franchises, or maybe you forgot about them and you went for a nice little jog down memory lane. You let me know, and you can always, you know, add on in the comments if there's a Starfighter you think that should be there. Um, I love that I got a comment from the uh, top eight spaceships of all time, and someone's like, where's the Rossi from from Expanse? Fucking right. In fact, uh, well, anyway, we we, we were talking about the Expanse recently, weren't we? So... (laughs) Anyway, all right, that's it for uh, for this episode. I will see all of you woo, on the other side. <laughs>